I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pixels. This is a show where we cover the news from the video games industry. We give you impressions about the games we've been playing, analyze some of the news we've been hearing about, and today I am doing the show alone uh, because my schedule is still kind of messed up. I missed uh, the episode from last week, but I did want to give you a quick update uh, when I have time and when the giant diapers and cries are not uh, looming over me like an end boss from a very difficult game. Um, so I have a little bit of time now. Um, so I jumped on the recorder and uh, I'm going to be talking about the games I've played and some of the interesting news that we've heard about. Um, the games are Monster Hunter World, Dragon Ball Fighter Z, and Celeste, which I want to talk about. Uh, I do want to cover as well the news from the uh, Xbox Game Pass changes and some of the rumors found around uh, Microsoft's intention in the game uh, sector and some other little tidbits. Uh, but first, let's jump in with the big juggernaut of January. Um, I think, you know, 2016 was a really good year for gaming. And 2017, as we've said repeatedly all over, well, every kind of possible media and everyone's uh, uh, list, 2017 was incredible. Um I think 2018 is starting pretty well as well. Uh, we have, you know, some updates mostly from Japan. And we've had uh, Capcom's Street Fighter Arcade Edition, which was pretty cool. Uh, a couple of other minor things, but... Again, from Capcom, we've had Monster Hunter World that came out on the 26th, and uh, it's already sold 6 million units, which for a game like this and for a uh, company like Capcom is absolutely not insignificant. It is definitely uh, managing to fulfill the promise of showing the uh, qualities and the interest and the, the, the hooks that a game like Monster Hunter can have to a wider audience. And that is very a, a huge opportunity for the company. Uh, Monster Hunter, for those who don't remember, started off a long time ago. I think it was 2004. Uh, it came out on PS2, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it was it, it started a trend from PS2 to PSP, where it really exploded, and then on to 3DS, where it kept its uh, luster in Japan. Uh, it was very, very popular in Japan, still is. It uh, drove a lot of PlayStation 4 sales uh, when it came out a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, you had the typical scenes of people queuing and people queuing for their reservations and then people 
people queuing to be able to make a reservation uh, to get it when it's available. Uh, Japan is not big on digital purchases. They certainly do it, but apparently not as much as uh, they could, which doesn't really make sense to me when the game is not available in store. It's selling so well. But anyway, that's a different story. Um, so it's always been huge in Japan, but it's becoming uh, not as huge, certainly, but um, it's definitely more... Uh, uh, accessible or making more of a splash more of an impact in the west as well now um everyone i've heard talk about this game has been singing its praises from the traditional media to the independent media like youtubers and uh, that kind of thing to the players themselves i don't think i've heard from any person who's played a, a good amount of that game uh who was not at least saying, yeah, it's pretty cool. And many people are saying, I'm completely in love with it. I've spent dozens, if not uh, over a hundred hours into it. Um, so I think it's legitimate, legitimate for people to wonder if you haven't jumped in already, is this game going to be for you? And that's something I always like to do. Um, I, I like to take an approach that is maybe a little bit more... Um, uh, you know, a little bit more at a distance, take a couple of steps back from the hype and try to anal analyze the game uh, in a way that is more uh, uh, cold and neutral and, and try to see who that game is actually going to be for. Because as good as it is, and it is good, I don't think it is for everyone. And I haven't completed the game, so this this isn't really a review. It's more like first impressions, as I often do in, in this show. Um, I've played about... I don't know, 15 hours of the game. I've completed the first leg, like the, the first for those who um, have played through it. It's not a huge part, but it's uh, up to the point where you go against the Elder Dragon for the first time. Um, so it's, it's still, you know, a significant amount of, of time. And I'm enjoying it, which is already very different from the experiences I've had with previous Monster Hunter games. I'm definitely enjoying it. I want to play more. Um, it is, I'm getting the loop. I understand what the fun is, where the fun is. Uh, the way I describe it is, I think, not perfect. And certainly you could poke holes into this comparison, but it also uh, helps, can help people understand what it is. It's basically, to me, a kind of Diablo-like boss rush game, meaning you, and it, you know, in 3D and over uh, third person view and in an expansive open world or almost open. Um, but you really have this this mechanic of going against bosses you have very little you can go and kill the smaller monsters and go on you know uh, uh, farming for materials and components for your crafting but the really the core of the game is those bosses that is most of what you're going to be doing killing those huge creatures and you get material from them and then you craft armor and you get loot to get essentially you get loot even if it doesn't just drop immediately you get components to craft some uh armor and weapons to go against stronger monsters and it feels diablo-ish in that loot grind kind of uh, uh, part and it feels boss rushy in the attention to uh the different monsters you have to to pay um you really have to uh, be careful with the way you engage with the monster and uh make sure that you're hitting the right parts and noticing the patterns and things like things like that. Um, it, so that part is definitely fun. And maybe I'm going to get to a point where I just 
can't stop playing and I completely fall in love with the game like so many others have. I'm not there yet. It's just, for now, it's just a fun game. And there are some pitfalls to the game as well. There are some definite um, uh, uh, negative aspects to it. Uh, so before, uh, yeah, I, I was almost going to forget, I do want to talk about the dark soulsiness of it. And I know some people get a little bit, um, uh, you know, irked when you mentioned that there is some Dark Souls elements to the game, especially since I've actually realized uh, Monster Hunter predates the first Dark Souls. So if anything, it's the, the other way around and Dark Souls might have been inspired by this game. But it's still, you know, the, the one that that is iconic in the area is Dark Souls. And that what I'm talking about is in the fights, uh, the controls are very slow, very deliberate. The animations take, take very long. Uh, with some of the weapons you can use in Monster Hunter, there are 14 of them, and they are extremely different. Some of them are fast, but many of them are relatively slow. Um, and some of the animations for a, a move are going to be, uh, you know, three seconds before you actually hit the the get the hit registered, and then another two or three seconds to get out of the animation. So you can't just go in, you know, willy-nilly and just hit around everything. Some of the weapons can, but even then you're going to engage into combos that are a little bit too long for comfort if you want to make sure you're hitting the right thing or not getting stuck into the animation and then getting hit by the mob because it's taking too long for you to do anything or to roll around. Um, so... There is definitely some element of Dark Souls in the controls. Of course, the games are very different, but there is some of that. Um, some of the weapons are very different. So if that's not your jam, you might want to try another weapon. But there is definitely that aspect of it, you know, and, and the, the fact that you have to learn the patterns of the monsters and s stuff like that. Um, so all of this is the, the, the good parts. Um, some of the bad parts, I think, are never mentioned, and they are kind of astounding uh, there's definitely it is an incredibly japanese games and it shows in most i think in the menus and the ui and even the ux it is abysmal like nothing makes sense everything is convoluted um the 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 different placements of the menus and the way you access them and some of the options are buried into menus that make no logical sense they shouldn't be there they are really important but you have to press four buttons to get to them um it is obtuse um so that aspect is really you get used to it but it's really fighting you to um allow you to use the game now where it's not fighting you anymore where it where it's a lot more accessible is to enjoy the core of the game so that's the the, the important part but uh, there is definitely a part of me that experiencing the game feels like wow if if you had you know investigated or given this part the ui to a uh, western developer they would have made this so much you know more accessible and I'm not talking about the core of the game because obviously the core of the game is very Japanese and should be um should have that that uh you know that that feel but the UI part I think has no reason to be that complicated and that convoluted so that is definitely a a frustration element then there's the uh onboarding of the different functions you really have to 
fight through a maze to get to them and what does the uh, ecological research do and where do you access it and how do you pay with points or pay with like research points or pay with uh, money what does do the two different currencies do and like you won't get this until like for five or, or ten hours in and there's no reason for that um, the the way you post you, you enter a uh, a mission is by going to a quest board and posting a quest. And then if it's a, a story quest, you can't uh, call for help. Like you have to actually call for help, but you can't do this until the first cinematic part is over. Like the first part of the of the mission is over. And when you start the, um, the, the hunt of the monster proper. So a lot of this is ridiculous with no good reason for it being that way. But again, I keep repeating myself. I think this is something that you can, um, uh, you know, look past and and enjoy the game. And this is the kind of game that, if you're a core gamer, I think I could recommend it to anyone. If you're at least curious about it, if you think, "Wow, this is definitely not for me," then obviously you can skip it. But it's such a phenomenon, and it's uh, a, definitely an interesting kind of thing. Um, it's in that area with uh, probably, again, I'm going to mention Dark Souls because it's a little bit niche, but the people who love it really love it. And I think you should experience it at least once to, if you want for your general culture as a gamer. Um, and you'll get some joy out of it. You know, it's not as, I think... There are some games that you, you don't get joy out of, even if you end up understanding them. I think this one is not that. It's something that you can definitely enjoy. So I would recommend it if you're at least a little bit interested in this and if you're uh, into the the hype, if you're jumping on the hype train of, of Monster Hunter World. Um, yeah, so it's a good experience and I, I've been enjoying it. I'm going to be playing it more. In some ways... Um, some people have been drawing the comparison to Destiny 2 as well, uh, or Destiny in general. There is some relation there. The the grind, the going to do the same thing over and over again, um, it can become what some people call a lifestyle game. It becomes your game, and that's what you play. Um, I mean, at least to a certain extent. So... Yeah, anyway, Monster Hunter World, pretty pretty cool game. Um very happy that I can finally get into that um that genre and I'm looking forward to seeing what other developers do in that genre because I think we might be seeing more of it. Uh, Dauntless is a game that um is going to be released hopefully first half of 2018 um made by western developers and free to play it might be a little bit more too simplified uh, it's in beta at the moment but we'll see what happens and i would love to see that kind of game become even more accessible than monster hunter world is uh, all right, so that's it for Monster Hunter World, and I do want to touch on Dragon Ball Fighters, and that is, by the way, the uh, official pronunciation of that uh, game's name, and uh, it sold 2 million units already. Definitely a successful game. As we've talked about in the past, incredible graphics-wise, uh, fighting mechanics-wise, it is also quite fun. It's one of those, you know, anime arc systems uh, games that are, it has a specific type of gameplay for fighting games. It's not as precise, I think, as something like uh, Street Fighter or King of Fighters, those kinds of games. 
but it definitely has its place. It has some technicality to it. Um, and that being said, it is unlike Monster Hunter World. I don't think it's a game I can recommend to everyone. I think if you're a Dragon Ball fan, then absolutely you should jump in. It's just it's just so much fun to be able to play your character in that way. Um, if you're a fighting game hardcore fan, if you want to and you want to play all of the fighting games, um, I think you can jump in and have some fun as well in this one. Um, and the, the surprise for it is that the single-player campaign is actually pretty solid. Um, I've played through about a third of it. There are three arcs. Uh, I did the first one. And it's actually quite fun. It's campy. It's not, you know, the best narrative you'll ever see. But it is a... Um, a, a fun jump into uh, the world of Dragon Ball and it's quite faithful to the anime and to the you know it does a lot of fan service um so it's uh, that part I wasn't expecting uh, and I'm pleasantly surprised and unlike Monster Hunter World where some of the fights take you know 30 40 minutes in this one, I can actually press pause. Uh, in, in Monster Hunter, I can't really pause. But here I can pause and see what's wrong with the baby and change the diaper. So that's a plus as well. Um, and talking about the 2 million units sold, uh, I do want to mention that to give you a, an idea of scale, um, Street Fighter V, which did very badly when it first launched because of all of the problems it had, uh, only sold, to, reached the, the 2 million mark sometime around the end of last year, of 2017. That was almost two years in. So for a game like Dragon Ball Fighters, it's definitely a success. Um, and lastly, I did want to mention uh, Celeste, which, again, a lot of people have been talking about and is a super interesting um entry in the what people call a uh, uh, die and retry type of game it is those really punishing mechanically precise games where uh, you have to uh, be incredibly skilled at the mechanics of the game to get through it it's usually platformers and it's uh, not uncommon that you have spikes in all but like two places of the screen and those are the places you have to reach and so those games have never been my my jam you you can think of things like uh meat boy super meat boy and things like that they've never been my jam because it seemed to me like they uh, relished in the player's failure you know they would celebrate the masochistic aspect of the game and and put your head into your failures and show you how bad you are and how hard the game is and that was a point of pride of the game itself celeste is not that celeste is going out of its way to <laughs> almost reassure you but at the very least welcome you and and sort of reward you for your successes rather than um, mocking you for your failures. And not only that, but it also has an easy mode where it, it's telling you, listen, the game is supposed to be challenging. That's how it was conceived. But if you don't feel like playing it that way, if you don't have time or, or energy or just you don't want to, we have an easy mode where you can do things like, you know, slow down time and make it, you know, give you more energy and jumps and whatever. 
so that you can actually enjoy the game at your own pace. And that's okay. It's perfectly fine. You also have parts of the... Uh, so it's a, of, obviously a platformer and uh, you have to traverse each of the... Um, uh, each of the levels and you just restart every time you die at that level. So if you've progressed through like five levels on that chapter, you can just, you're just going to restart at that specific, uh, uh, screen. You know, it's even more than levels. It's like just one screen. And when you pass, you're saved to that next screen, um, which is also very welcoming and very, um, uh, therapeutic for those kinds of games. Um, and so you have little strawberries you can get that are a little bit more t- difficult to access. And they tell you, listen, those strawberries, they're good for impressing your friends. But if you don't want to get them, don't feel like you have to. Again, a welcoming, heartwarming um, kind of approach to that kind of game. And it's still challenging, you know. It's, it is just as challenging as any of those other games. Um, so it's not like it's baby mode, although you can, uh, you know, activate the easy mode. But it's not holding you by the hand all the way through and doing it for you it's still forcing you to learn the mechanics and to get better as a player not as a character to get better as a player mechanically for those things um so i think it's a great entry in in that genre um and on top of that there is a story that is quite touching i haven't played uh, as much as i have those other two games so i'm still maybe a couple of hours in but there's a story there's poetry to it the the main character Madeline that has to climb uh, an impossibly difficult to climb mountain um, and that does it for reasons that are uh, very personal and that is confronted with uh, her own demons uh, almost literally (laughs) in the game Um, it has some really uh, valuable storytelling elements and story feeling elements to it that I think are are a treasure and the game is available on on switch which is probably the best platform to play it on because it's super like snacky gameplay you can try a level for like five ten minutes pass a couple of levels of, of screens and then put it down um so the switch is probably the platform you want to be playing it on even though it's available on others as well um so yeah celeste and as i was saying monster hunter world dragon ball z uh celeste and a couple of others already make for an incredible start of the year and as we'll see in the second part of the show the year is really just starting now we're gonna have a lot more coming uh in the next few months and so 2018 might be another one of those incredible gaming years. Maybe I, I can't imagine this is going to continue continue forever, but uh, we we are hitting a pretty happy patch in the past few years. Um, the other big news I wanted to talk about was the Xbox and Microsoft's uh, strategy shift. Apparently, there are a couple of elements to that. Uh, first, the Xbox Game Pass, which is a service where you pay, I think it's ten bucks a month. Uh, and that's on top of your uh, Xbox Live subscription. So that's to take into, into account. But the Xbox Game Pass allows you to install games from... So you have a number of games in the library that are available, uh, 100, 200, whatever that is. And you can install them and play them for as long as you are subscribed. It's kind of like the PlayStation Now, except instead of streaming the games, as you do on PlayStation Now, you actually install them so you don't have lag or, or bandwidth is, issues with your connection. 
Um, so that service uh, is being modified to include all of the first-party exclusive games that Microsoft is going to have on the console into the service day one when they launch. And that is like, it's half pretty big, half kind of underwhelming. Um, the pretty big part is obviously this makes this kind of service incredibly attractive price-wise uh, because if you have a first-party um, developer that produces a lot and those are usually the games you do want to play on that platform and they're available for 10 bucks a month, you know, 10 bucks a month, that's 120 bucks a year, two games. And if you buy two games a year, those games, then it becomes interesting financially. Um, if you buy them new, obviously. So that's a big deal. The half disappointing part, obviously, is that the Xbox exclusives are not very numerous or super platform buying level of excitement. Uh, the ones we're going to see in the near future are uh, Sea of Thieves, which is getting more positive uh, impressions and reviews from people who are playing the beta, so, so that might be cool. Um, you have State of Decay 2, again, a somewhat interesting game, but not a system seller. And uh, Crackdown 3, which we're getting sort of tired to wait for and it's getting a little bit uh, worrisome that it's been delayed that much with so little communication so not the best of lineups but in the future it could become a service that is very valuable it does beg the question of um well there are two questions for the industry first the uh the retailers are very upset about this because it's like well okay then no one ever buys games anymore if that's that becomes a standard and that's certainly a uh, a problem for them might be saying the world has to move on but yeah that's something to take into account the other thing is if that becomes the standard if basically subscription service becomes the standard in video games as well uh, as they have in you know with netflix and spotify and all of those what becomes of the business model? Like, how do developers make enough money? Do they make enough money? How do they, do you distribute that amount? Because 10 bucks spread over, you know, 100 developers, that might not be as much as they would hope. Um, that being said, some developers or publishers have been saying that PlayStation Now is not negligible anymore. It doesn't mean it's a big portion of the revenue, but it's slowly getting there. And uh, Microsoft has said that they do want to uh, improve or to start a service similar to PlayStation Now, so game streaming, uh, within the next three years. They even bought a PlayFab, PlayFab, yes, which is a cloud-based gaming platform. So they're working on it as well. So subscription gaming is probably in our future, at least as an option, um, very soon on many different platforms. Ob obviously, the, the advantage of this, which, by the way, the Xbox Game Pass is, if I'm not mistaken, also active on PC, or at least that's the intention. Um, so that's good if you don't have an Xbox. But the streaming with video streaming, like PlayStation Now and what Microsoft is probably developing in the future, means that you can play those games without owning the console or even a powerful uh, machine, a powerful PC. So that's pretty cool as well. Uh, and the other thing that Microsoft has been rumored to be doing is be on the hunt for studios to buy. And that is incredibly good news, I think, for uh, Xbox fans and gaming fans in general. Because as we've been 
complaining about for the past couple of years the big problem with the xbox is the last lack of exclusives and uh, if microsoft gets studios it will be to get those exclusives there's been rumors about um companies like ea and valve um valve i don't really believe they the thing is Valve is a private company. They're not stock listed. So it would mean that it they would uh, basically, Gabe Newell would have to want to sell to Microsoft. And by the way, he is a former Microsoft employee. So maybe there's a connection there, but I, I don't think, I don't see why he would want to sell unless he just wants to retire. Um, maybe he wants to start another gaming company just to make games and not manage a store. So that could be an exit. I don't know, but it doesn't seem very likely. Um, EA, maybe, I mean, it would take a lot of cash. Microsoft has, um, announced, uh, Satya Nadella has said that he wants to, um, basically be a bigger player in the gaming market. So maybe they're going to engage a lot of the Microsoft hoard of cash into that. EA definitely does have a lot of uh, IPs uh, available to it. Um, I don't know. What's for sure is that Microsoft needs exclusives and it would take a lot of time to go out and build up the studios from the ground up. So buying studios would make a lot more sense. And it seems that's what they're looking at, or at least that's what the rumors are saying. And the rumors seems to seem to be from reliable, somewhat reliable sources. So that I look at this as a very good sign. So yeah, good things happening, hopefully in the future for Microsoft. It's not going to be an immediate change, though. It's not going to happen, you know, not this year. Um, it's not going to have an impact this year. All right, let's move on to smaller little tidbits of news. And let's start with a few dates. Uh, First, God of War is going to be released on April 20th. That is incredibly exciting. I'm really hoping that uh, that game manages to break from the adolescence, teenage uh, uh, violence slash uh, sex fest. Well, sex fest is a little bit of an ex- exaggeration, but there were certainly some racy moments in the initial games and grows up into something a little bit more substantial. And that is an opportunity that was missed by, I think, a number of games before. Uh, arguably, Tomb Raider has managed to make that transition, but uh, games like Gears of War have not. So God of War has an opportunity there, and I'm very excited to find out if it manages to uh, actually uh, do it. Then we have a delay for Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, It was supposed to come out this spring. It is going to be delayed to October 26th. So we have an actual date, which means it's much more likely to actually come out at that point. I'm sure some people are disappointed that it's not coming out sooner, but... There you go. There's going to be a crazy um, fall, as every fall always is. And we also have a few leaks from um, Red Dead Redemption that suggest it might have a number of different online modes. And one of them would be a battle royale, which, as we know, is the flavor du jour. Hope you're enjoying my English pronunciation of a French word. Um so, yeah, we have a Battle Royale mode. Seems like it could happen. First person mode, a bunch of other things. Uh, this is a leak, but it seems like it might have some legs. And, um, yeah, I guess it's not unexpected that Red Dead Redemption is going to have a very solid online component, 
given the success of GTA 5's online component, which, by the way, GTA 5 is still selling. It's now, it's now reached uh, 90 million units sold, which the game came out in 2013. It's five years old. It is an incredible success. Of course, it came out on the previous generation, so a lot of people might have bought it twice, but still, 90 millions. Five years later, it's still selling millions, if not dozens of millions uh, of games. So very impressive success. And GTA Online is certainly not, uh, you know, is certainly one of the reasons uh, behind that success. So you can bet that Red Dead Redemption 2 is going to have a very solid online mode as well. Uh, Anthem was delayed to 2019. EA has confirmed what what was uh, initially a rumor. And um, the rumor also was accompanied by ramblings by the developers that were saying the date of, well, the the launch window of um, fall 2018 was never realistic, even when it was first announced at E3 2017. So it was always going to be delayed. And it's not delayed probably not enormously it's uh, it's probably going to be coming out uh, fiscal year 2018 which means end of of march 2019 uh, so that's maybe 5 months of a delay so not a huge amount but still enough time to polish some of the systems and some people might suggest well maybe they're removing loot boxes because of the star wars battlefront 2 debacle uh from last year uh, might be the case i think uh, there's there's more of a uh, intention to make it very polished to take the opportunity of uh, capturing a user base that is maybe dissatisfied with some other games like Destiny 2, which we're going to talk about in just a second. But before we do, a word about Battlefront 2 and the uh, loot boxes issue. It missed its target by 1 million. So it was uh, targeted for 10 million sales. It reached 9 million. The first one made 14, I think. Um, so it's not, you know, a complete bust. Uh, certainly the loot box controversy was an issue. Um, but it didn't uh, do too badly either. And I think it's worth uh, taking a second to notice the scale here. We have uh, 9 million sold, which is a missing targets for a game like Battlefront 2, which has huge ambition and a huge uh, budget. And we have games that we mentioned earlier, like Monster Hunter World and Dragon Ball Fighters. Dragon Ball Fighters selling 2 million is a big success for that game. Uh, Monster Hunter World selling six, I'm sorry, six millions actually, um, is a huge success for Capcom and for that game. Uh, it might go on to sell a lot more. But, you know, those are not the big blockbuster AAA games that we're talking about when we're talking about the biggest players in the gaming world. They are probably more around, if you want to classify them, probably around the double A kind of production level. You know, they don't have, they're not as ambitious in their, um, uh, you know, cinematic storytelling length. Uh, maybe not length, that's not a good a good measure. But um, Monster Hunter World, for example, the, the narrative aspect is incredibly bare bones. There are very few animations. Um, everything is very few voices. Uh, the budget is much more um, modest. So anyway, it, it, just to to exemplify the fact that when we're talking about the, the cost and the budgets of 
games. Um, a lot of people often say, well, see, you have this game that works perfectly well without loot boxes or DLC or selling anything. It's just a complete game on the disc, blah, blah, blah. It's not the same category of games. And I think a lot of people tend, the more angry gamers among us tend to not see or not even want to see that difference. So anyway, just a passing remark. Uh, Battlefront do 9 millions instead, 9 million instead of 10. Um, Destiny 2 will have a major expansion this coming uh, year in 2018, something probably akin to the Taken King, uh, like uh, we had in Destiny 1. Hopefully, it will fix a lot of the lingering issues of Destiny 2, and um, it remains a mystery to me how Bungie could have bungled Destiny 2 so badly after having seemingly learned so much from the bungle of Destiny 1, which was corrected with the expansion The Taken King, and they found some really clever ways of engaging and in, in, uh, in keeping player inter- players interested over the life of The Taken King. But um, anyway, so... That is one note, but the more interesting part of this is uh, the report from Activision that actually they sold more of Destiny 2 than Destiny 1. That's understandable, but they also sold more of the first expansion, the small DLC uh, from December, and the, the user base is more engaged than it was in Destiny 1. So for all of the complaints, and we always do that, we always have that issue, um, we get very vocal, but then things don't translate into the commercial aspect of it and people keep playing or keep buying those things. So it's another example of the vocal minority, which it seems, maybe they're playing with the numbers here, but it seems that even in the case of Destiny 2, where I assure you for having my pulse on the uh, beat of the community, my not my pulse, my my hand finger on the pulse there you go that's the expression on the pulse of the community they are not happy at all like to a level that is very different from uh previously like they feel betrayed and things are slowly getting better but it was bad but still people are playing and paying for the game so yeah it's it's kind of something to keep in mind and just as it is for battlefront 2 where People have been enjoying it quite a bit. Of course, they removed the loot crates, the loot boxes, in the end after the controversy. But I think a lot of the the more casual players I've been hearing from have been enjoying the game and don't really even care or know about the loot crates. And they wouldn't have worried about that. They just jump in and have fun. And that is... We all know they're there, those players, but I think... The, the silent majority is much more of a majority than we imagine in our microcosm or vi- of very engaged core gamers. Um, graphics cards, they have been having big issues because of Bitcoin mining. And um, the develop not the developers, the manufacturers are starting to notice and uh, to do something about it. But they, they're kind of in a catch-22 because they can't really mass produce lots of graphics card to meet the demand because that demand is incredibly unstable. Uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies could crash tomorrow and the miners would not find it uh, financially viable to buy the graphics cards they're, they're buying now. So the prices are inflated today for the graphics card, but they could the bubble could bust 
any moment in that area as well. And it would have dire consequences for the graphics cards because not only would a manufacturer that would have invested heavily on more capacity be caught with its pants down, but all of that inventory of massively powerful graphics card, you know, it's like we're talking 1080s, 1070s, 1060s that are selling for twice the, the asking price. Um, they would become uh, useless to the miners and they would go on the um, secondhand market immediately and with massive amounts. So it's really difficult for NVIDIA. I'm talking about NVIDIA because they have the high-end graphics cards more than AMD at the moment. Um, so it would be, it's really difficult uh, for NVIDIA to, to crack that nut and to solve that problem. They're encouraging the um, uh, retailers to sell to gamers first as much as possible. They're trying to preserve their um, core audience very smartly, I think. But it's difficult uh, because when you show up and you have a retailer willing to sell you something for 500 and you're telling them, I'll buy it for 1000 uh, I'm not sure you're going to sell to the guy who's paying you 500. So I don't know. It's it's a really hard problem and I'm really hoping that something happens soon because as long as we have this cryptocurrency craze going, uh, if if at least we knew it would go on forever, then the market would be clear and you could easily, well, not easily, but you could reliably ramp up production and NVIDIA and other manufacturers could start doing even specialized chips, with some, which some of them have. Um, and, and you could, you know, meet that demand. But the, the, that industry being what it is, it's so unpredictable that it's very difficult to engage that kind of capital and energy to, uh, to meet that demand. So... Yeah, not an easy one, but at least NVIDIA is aware and trying to to do things. And they are increasing the supply uh, of, of graphics cards. So maybe if we wait another few months or maybe a year, we'll be able to buy those high-end graphics cards for a reasonable price. Uh, another rumor about Metroid Prime 4. Um, apparently Bandai Namco is the one developing it. We initially uh, had reports that Bandai Namco Singapore was the one developing it through LinkedIn profiles and and, uh, resumes and stuff like that that are often not very subtle. Um, But now we've heard that it's actually been taken over by Bandai Namco Japan. They have taken the lead on Metroid Prime 4 and uh, Bandai Namco Singapore is working on another Switch game. So another example that uh, big developers are getting very serious about uh, Switch development given its success. It's not very surprising. We've been talking about this for a while now. Uh, But yeah, it's another uh, example of that. Uh, More somber news on that front, however. uh, Well, somber. Uh, That's an exaggeration but it will probably not come out in 2018. Uh, It seems the reports are uh, talking about a release date of at least 2019, which is not very surprising to me. I I definitely thought it would be in that um, uh, window and definitely not 2018. Um, another uh, tidbit from Epic Games. They're shutting down Paragon, another victim of the uh, hero shooter-ish type of game craze that uh, started two years ago they are 
not finding the success they uh, were hoping for. And they, I, I think they are smartly thinking, all right, let's fold operations down. It's not working out. It didn't find its, its uh, audience. And uh, with the success of Fortnite, and more specifically the success of Fortnite Battle Royale, which is obviously PUBG competitor and free-to-play, um, they are going to focus on that. And Fortnite had 3.4 million concurrent users uh, last weekend, which is kind of insane. 3.4 million is a huge amount. Uh, by comparison, uh, PUBG had about... I don't want to say something silly, but I think it was 3.1 million. Maybe that's not accurate, but I think that was it. Um, Obviously, PUBG is a paid game, so it's a very different proposition. But uh, yeah, they've done a little bit more than, uh, than PUBG. And that is significant. Uh, and by the way, talking about Battle Royale game, there's another one announced, uh, Fear the Wolves by uh, ex-Stalker developers. Uh, I think it's Vostok Games. Anyway, they're, they're talking about this. There's also a developer saying they are going to um, make a Battle Royale game with like a thousand concurrent players or something like that. Uh, we're entering the era of... Me Too's Battle Royale games, which we were expecting, but also like gimmicky Battle Royale games. Like we are the Battle Royale with this or with that type of thing, Um, which is, again, not unexpected at all. Um, So, yeah, that's about it. I think there could be a couple of other little bits that I could mention, but uh, that is the most important um, uh, news from the past couple of weeks or so, maybe three weeks. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this little uh, solo episode. I will try to be back uh, on schedule, but I'm not certain how reliable I'll be able to do it because... Um, there are so many things happening, uh, as you can imagine. I'm sure some of the parents in the audience are nodding their heads uh, and understanding what I'm talking about. But I'll try to keep um, the pix- pixel feed as populated as possible, even when I don't do regular uh, standard episodes for the show. Uh, I hope you enjoy Monster Hunter World and uh, all of the other games that have been coming out. Please do let me know what you think uh, of those games and the way I I, uh, characterized and analyzed them in the comments or on YouTube uh, or or Twitter. And uh, I will talk to you again very soon.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 